Well, good morning. Uh, I want to welcome you again. And if you haven't been following uh, the King's Church services um, up until now, you're very welcome this morning. And so I need to explain to you that we're, we're doing a series on Acts at the moment where we're on a bit of a journey and we've started at Acts 2 and we're working our way through and stopping off at various points. So we won't be covering the whole of Acts, but at key points we're stopping off. And really, Acts itself must do this because it is just picking snapshots of events through uh, the work of the Apostles and the Holy Spirit spreading the new church out in the area. Um, people sometimes ask, uh, which books would you start with in the Bible? And, and for me, and children, if you're listening, this is for you too. Um, if it was me, I would have Luke's Gospel followed immediately by his second book, which is Acts, because I think that gives you a good uh, first reading of the important bits of the Bible. Um, and, and part of the reason I say this is because it's history. Luke is a historian, he's an educated man, he deliberately goes out to write a history. Um, and both books do that, and both books are actually addressed to an individual it's called Theopolis. The, the, in fact, the most honourable Theopolis. And there's a lot of debate as to who this guy is, but one commentator, perhaps others, would, might suggest that he could be some high-ranking uh, judge, perhaps, who might be ruling in Paul's case. Anyway, it does not really matter, but it is a historical account, and therefore I think can be enjoyed as that, as well as the spiritual side of it. And where are we at the moment? Well, um, we've Jesus has obviously rose from the dead, he went ascended into heaven, uh, we have the disciples who then received the Holy Spirit. Uh, the church has been born and, and it's now a community. Um, but the fight back has happened and uh, persecution is in way, underway. Stephen is uh, just so dramatically martyred and the disciples are scattered. The people are scattered who are in the church all over the place. Um, and Saul is unleashed and he's going about persecuting the church and so the mission starts in Samaria. So I'm going to read for the second part of Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. Headed up, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated on his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran unto him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
Now, the passage in scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb, before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptised? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So here we have a divine encounter, and two characters are involved coming together via the Holy Spirit. Now, first of these characters is Philip. Now, this is not the Apostle Philip, he's not an apostle, he's one of the seven deacons in Acts 6 who were given the job of organising, administering the church, particularly in relation to the distribution of food for widows. And he's described as being well-respected, uh, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Now that's a really good description for anyone, isn't it? And they laid hands on him, they commissioned him, but it turns out it was a short-term appointment because um, what happens? The persecution, and he's off to Samaria. Now, Samaria is a curious place to start with because the Jews did not get on with Samaria, Samaritans. Uh, and this is historic. Uh, the area of uh, Samaria held the capital of the Northern Territory for when the North Israel and the South Judea was split. And they were invaded by the Assyrians. The Assyrians took all the rich people, the talented people away and left the rest who then intermarried with uh, foreigners and people coming in from outside. So they were a mixed bunch and they hated the Jews and the Jews hated them for all sorts of reasons. But Jesus went to Samaria. He had a famous encounter with a woman at a well in Samaria. He uses a Samaritan as a key part of one of his parables and he instructs, in, instructs the disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 to go to, the, to Samaria, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Philip did. And he's got great results. <laughs> I mean, what a blessed ministry. He's, the people want to hear his message. They believe his message. They are baptised and along with it there's great signs that are happening. Healings, uh, lame made able to walk, um, people freed from spiritual captivity, all sorts like that. It's great and it's what Jesus did. 
he proclaimed the kingdom of God was at hand and the signs and wonders came with it. People baptised, joy in the towns. And <laughs> the apostles came. What's going on? <laughs> and it seemed that Philip takes a step back as they deal with an issue that Roger was talking about last week. Um, and he's called to move on, to leave that place fairly quickly after he's been there. And he's been sent by the Lord to meet a particular individual. And so the second person on this uh, encounter is an Ethiopian eunuch. And it's fascinating because we're told quite a lot about this individual. First of all, he's Ethiopian. Now, Ethiopia is not how it is now. Uh, it was situated more in the area of Sudan, just south of uh, Egypt. Uh, we know he's African, obviously, and we mostly hear about the gospel uh, going up towards Turkey to Ephesus and then off into Europe. But Ethiopia was to the Greeks and the Romans literally the ends of the earth. He's also black. This is not only self-evident as a, someone from the Sudan, but it's confirmed in Jeremiah 13 verse 23 if you want to look it up. And Ethiopians has been translated as or known as the land of the burnt-faced people. He's high up in government. He's a treasurer. He's a treasurer for the Queen. It's actually the Queen Mother. Uh, Candace is a term, generic term for her. But he's, he's high up. He's also educated. He can obviously read. Um, and he's pretty good with figures. So I'd say he's an accountant. So he's a pretty good chap. Uh, but he's also God-fearing. Now that's a very interesting term. That means that he is following God, but he's almost certainly not a Jew, even though there is a was a Jewish community uh, within Ethiopia. Um, it may well be that he was just a converted Gentile. Um, it's a bit ambiguous, but he clearly was a God-fearer because he'd been up to Jerusalem to worship. He was rich. He was able to travel. He had a chariot. Chariot again is a generic term and it could be a cart. Um, it could be, it's a bit like uh, a term a car. You could have a car that's uh, a, a Mini um, or it's a Rolls Royce. It could be somewhere in between. Uh, probably had followers, an entourage that came with him for somebody so high up. He's unlikely to be travelling alone. And he has this other label, this other characteristic that he's called a eunuch. Why are we told this? Why is it always headed up in the, in the Bible? This is the Ethiopian eunuch. Now I'm aware that we have some younger listeners, so I'm not going into any details. Um, but this is very much part of his identity. And really, going back to the history side, where did Luke get this from? He must have got it from Philip. And where did Philip get that he was a eunuch? I think the eunuch told him. 
And there's one thing that's highly significant in this, is that as a eunuch, he would not be able to go very far into the temple. Deuteronomy 23.1, uh, which I won't read, is very specific, and he would be restricted on what he could do, even though he was rich, even though he may get further into the temple than other people might, he would be looked down on. He would be an outsider. But there's a third person involved in this, and that is the Holy Spirit. And God has got Philip um, to a place to meet the Ethiopian, and he's got the Ethiopian to that place too. And he's reading the Old Testament. It's specifically, it's Isaiah 53, 7 to 8, a very famous piece. That's why it resonates so well with us. And he's reading aloud. That would be common in the culture at the time, is to, be, to read aloud. And the Holy Spirit guides Philip to come alongside and approach him and speak to him, to open the conversation. That's really important. He didn't sit around. He went up to the Ethiopian. I mean, imagine, imagine um, if I was in uh, Custer's on Fortin service station on the M6 and Ricky Sunak is just happening to have a coffee and I went up to talk to him. I mean, it's quite something really. And the passage that he's reading focuses on injust the injustice done to Jesus. And Luke presents that quite in the way he presents Jesus on the cross in his gospel. And then later, also the injustice done to Stephen uh, in Acts when Stephen is martyred. Philip is ready to share and the Ethiopian is ready to listen. It's quite clear from the passage that they then travel together and they're talking more and more and, and perhaps we can take it that the Holy Spirit acts again. The Bible says this was a desert place and yet there was water sufficient to baptise him. I think that probably amazed both of them. It then says that the Spirit moved again to move Philip on to another place and the eunuch went away rejoicing. Now, I'm going to go a little bit further than the passage here, but they obviously spent quite a bit of time together and I have to just wonder as to whether in sharing um, important personal matters that Philip was able to bring a later piece of Isaiah to the Ethiopian's attention. And that is in Isaiah 56, reading from verse 3. Now just listen to this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. <laughs> 
I will give them an everlasting name and they shall not be cut off. Now is that a reason? Is that the reason why he was rejoicing? <laughs> so what can we learn from this? Well, there's absolutely loads. It's a great passage, but I'm just going to pick out three things. First of all, Philip was able to use the Old Testament to witness to this Ethiopian. And we must remember that the Old Testament is the word of God. It's not to be ignored. It's not second class. It also brings together the history of how God's plan to redeem the world is laid out. Philip used it to bring the Ethiopian to the Lord by explaining how Jesus fulfilled the prophecy and indeed the law. Secondly, I think Philip gives us a really good blueprint as to how evangelism should be done. A few more chapters down the line in Acts, we'll find Philip referred to Philip the evangelist. <laughs> From Philip the administrator to Philip the evangelist. And so what can we learn from this? Well, first of all, to be available and willing to share. You know, we are really good. We are very, very good at sharing resources, sharing time, caring for people, be they in the church or outside the church. We're doing a great job. But are we as good at sharing? Are we as enthusiastic? Are we as willing about sharing our faith? as we are about sharing our resources. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit in this and be open to him leading us. To pray and to ask for opportunities. We also need to be bold to open the conversation. That's the critical part. That is faith in action, is opening the conversation. We need also to be sensitive. Start with where the person is. Um, Philip didn't give the Ethiopian a formula of starting at sin and ending up somewhere in Revelation. He didn't. He started with the who. The question he was asked, who is this about? And he was able to say, this is about Jesus, and then use that as the lead in. Also, we have to be prepared to travel. And that doesn't necessarily mean go somewhere. It means traveling along with somebody on their journey. It can take time. But Christianity is now in Samaria. It's now in heading for black Africa to folk previously barred from full entry, be it their nationality, possibly their color, or their identity. Something's very different from Judaism here. Christianity is different. We have lost the baggage and the hindrances and we must be careful never to bring them in again. And the third thing I want to talk about is the eunuch says, what prevents me from being baptized? And he orders the chariot to stop. Now that suggests to me that there was an entourage with him if he's providing orders, a driver at least. So others around him are not preventing him. He's not bothered that there are others around. 
There's water available, miraculously perhaps. He is willing and he is obedient. And there's somebody there to do it. And that somebody is not an archbishop. It's not even a pastor. It's just another Christian. And he hasn't been, he being the Ethiopian, he hasn't been on long-running Alpha course. Um, he hasn't even been a believer for a long period of time. He hasn't even displayed necessarily a great depth of faith. How can he in that time? And yet, this was not disqualifying him from being baptised. I think there is a sadness when Christians um, choose not to be baptised. It's clearly a command of Jesus to go, to go and baptise in the name of. He saw it as important enough to be baptised himself. He, he asked John the Baptist to baptise him and John, John argued against him. He says, you should be baptising me. Jesus said, no, we must do what is right. Jesus, who was without sin, was fully human as well as fully God and he shares that humanity with us and he displayed that by identifying by way of baptism with us and so we can identify with him by being baptised identify with his rising from the dead I appreciate but this can be difficult. I was christened, as it's often called in the Church of England. Um, it's baptism, if you actually look at the service sheet. Um, I was there, but I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't any part of the decision. I was even confirmed into the uh, Church of England at 15, but it actually didn't mean very much to me. It was part of a, a rite of passage, really. Although it is an important part of my journey. Um, I didn't become a Christian until I was 17. But I didn't see the need, or I didn't accept the need, to be baptised. And it was only into my 30s, I was being challenged by our church leader at the time, that this was something that I should do. And um, I resisted. I didn't feel it was necessary. Some Christian writers suggest it isn't too. But... When a call was made at a baptism of some relatively new believers for anyone else who wished to be baptised in Ennerdale, I went forward without a wetsuit and I'm really glad that I did. It, it's not magic, but there is something important about following through on a commandment of Jesus. I think it says where our heart is. Now we're restricted at the moment, so running baptisms are a bit uh, difficult. Although I'm quite sure that if somebody was really keen to be baptised now, then we could get Zoom going and camera from your bathroom and it can be done. But I might suggest that there is a lovely river at Southern Mill or a river past Cockermouth Castle or a beautiful lake somewhere around here that might be a great place to do this with the family around you when we can. So what I would ask you to do 
is ping an email off or give a phone call to one of the leaders and say, when we are able to do this, put me in. Let's have a baptismal service soon after we come together. There's a lot more that comes out of this passage, but I'm going to um, give you some response points with the worship that will follow shortly. God bless you.